This text out of Micah, as soon as we hear it, we begin to think of Christmas references. There's a reference to Bethlehem, O Bethlehem of Ephrath. There's a reference to a woman giving birth, therefore he shall give them until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. There's a reference to shepherds feeding their flock and peace to the ends of the earth. It all seems so very Christmassy. And yet when looking at this text, it's important not to view this text just as a foretelling of the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. We must first see Micah's own times and hear Micah's own voice before we layer it into the Christmas story. If we think of it only in terms as the coming one of Jesus, we miss Micah's message to his own people. And we lose Scripture's bold declaration, the proclamation of this prophet, that God speaks in each and every moment of history to that particular time, that God speaks in and through each and every generation and culture. We think of Micah's words only as a foretelling of the coming of a Savior. God's concern for the present is loss. And I certainly don't believe in a God who's only concerned with the future. For I believe in a God who is intimately involved in the present today. Many scholars suggest that Micah's text was proclaimed around the same time as the beginning of Isaiah's. It was a time of great unrest and turmoil as the Assyrians had destroyed the northern kingdom and were peering in on the people of Judah. For the Assyrians were a powerful and mighty nation with far more warriors and military strength than Judah could ever hope for. The people were living in the midst of military conflict and civil unrest. For they had no security. What was here today could certainly be gone tomorrow. And Micah attempts to address these social, these political, these moral issues with his prophecy. Some of the things that he addresses are, those with power have taken away from the poor their land and their inheritance. Another thing he addresses is that those with power have evicted widows from their homes. That those with power have fixed the scales and weights to cheat their customers. And that those with power have taken bribes and so much more. And yet today's text on the surface is very un-Micah-like. Micah appears to be one of the angriest prophets of the entire Hebrew Bible. He is a rural farmer, furious at the sin of the Israelites living in Jerusalem. He calls them thieves. He calls them false preachers who are more interested in lighter problems like drunkenness while injustice is rampant in the city. He says that they are greedy for wealth and that they hate good and love evil. Micah says that they tear up and eat the flesh of the poor, breaking their bones into pieces and chopping them up like meat for a kettle, like flesh in a cauldron. Michael, Micah was an angry dude. He was not happy. And he was calling out the people. These people, says, says Micah, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who have nothing to put in their mouths. Micah is challenging their greed. Micah is challenging their desire to have more than others. Micah is challenging their system. 
that is advantaging some while disadvantaging others. And as you can see, Micah is an angry, fiery individual. John the Baptist often drew parallels to Micah, for Micah is not the individual that you would want to invite to your next Christmas party. While it would be one to remember for the ages, it could be disastrous. Micah was the first prophet who actually announced that Jerusalem would fall. Isaiah kept saying that God will protect the city of Jerusalem, even though the Assyrian threat is going on. And Micah did not disagree that God would not protect the city, but for Micah, the leadership of Jerusalem was causing this massive suffering. And so Micah announced that Jerusalem would indeed fall. He announced that the Assyrians would win, causing further suffering in Judah. Yet in today's text, Micah seems to change his tone a bit. While he's been barking down prophecy of destruction and turmoil and devastation, today he offers a bit of hope. Today's text is a smaller part of a larger component that basically says the Assyrians will not have the last words. From out of the devastation, destruction, and despair, the day will come when righteousness and peace will be restored. Like his image of swords being beaten into plowshares paints a beautiful picture of this coming peace, when once again, everyone will sit under the vines and the fig trees of the land that is indeed owned by God. Micah is painting a vision for the way that the world should be and the way that the world will be. And this text begins, he says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrath, who are the one of you little clans of Judah? From you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from, from of old, from ancient days. And when we hear Bethlehem, we immediately think Jesus Mangers, shepherds, wise men, and cute little domesticated nativities. But this is not the image that Micah was portraying. He was thinking of David. King David, the greatest of all Israel's kings. He was a mighty warrior who was born in the tiny village of Bethlehem and was chosen by the prophet Samuel as king. He was the eighth and youngest child of a simple man named Jesse. Many scholars believe that Micah's text was compiled, was written a couple hundred years after David's reign. And so David's reign was from of old, from ancient days. And so Micah, what he's doing here is he's dreaming of another David-like king who will come and defeat the Assyrians and bring Israel back into its days of glory. Micah was basically saying that out of this little town of Bethlehem, would come the presence of God. Out of this little podunk, insignificant town, God would bring peace to the ends of the earth. The early Christians took this Davidic promise and applied it to their Bethlehem-born king, Jesus of Nazareth. They emphasized his birth in Bethlehem and his direct connection to the older king from Bethlehem, King David. The text continues, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And while this text is a bit vague, it certainly refers to a woman giving birth to a child. And in my mind, I quickly linked it to Isaiah 7:14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a son. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Amen. God with us. You know, maybe Isaiah 
wasn't just saying that the birth of Christ would be the sign of God being with us. But what if Isaiah was saying that every child that's ever born is a reminder that God is indeed with us? Every child being named Emmanuel, God with us. For in a world of destruction and turmoil, God refuses to give up on the world. God continues to give us new life with the birth of every child. And that child shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. The text continues. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall live secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. And when Christians, the early Christians heard this, immediately they saw Jesus, the shepherd of Israel, both feeding and securing the people until the ends of the earth. They saw Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the one bringing love, hope, and redemption to a broken world. So now we know how these early Christians interpreted it. What specifically was Micah getting at in his context? Micah was looking for a David-like king to come and defeat the forces that destroy the land. He was longing for the one who would bring unity and peace to a newly redeemed community. He was longing for the one who would feed the people and secure their rights in a land finally ruled by God. What Micah wanted for Israel and the nations, is precisely what the early Christians believed that the coming of Christ meant for the world. Justice, unity, and peace. It is the hope of every Christmas. It is the hope of this Christmas. Justice, unity, peace. And so, so how do these, these things, this justice, this unity, this peace that, that Micah was talking about, that Christ came to usher in, how does it manifest itself in the world today? This justice, this unity, this peace often manifests itself in and through us. At times we may feel insignificant ourselves, but if God can bring justice, unity, and peace to the world through a group of disciples who fell short time and time again. If God can bring justice, unity, and peace to the world through a small, insignificant, podunk town. If God can bring justice, unity, and peace to the world through a young woman's womb, God can certainly bring justice, unity, and peace to the world in and through us. For God is always working for the redemption of God's people. Wherever you find yourself, God calls you to participate in God's promised redemption. And yet we still see despair around us. We still encounter our own brokenness. Suffering still abounds, but God comes to us in the hour of our need. And in our brokenness and God coming to us, we are then united with all those all over the world who are broken, empty, and hungry. And as God comes to us in our needs, we recognize that we are joined with all of creation, with others for whom God comes as well. It is not in us and them anymore. We encounter God together 
in and through one another. Micah is saying that God will not just make me live in peace. God will not just make you live in peace. But God is creating a whole new way of being in the world. In and through us. For there can be no peace for me unless there's peace for you. For we are God's creation. We are God's desire to restore the world. God working in and through us in a whole new way of being in the world. For God works in us. God works in us to forgive us for the things that we have done and the things that we haven't done. God works in us to offer us eternal life so that we may live forever in relationship with God. God works in us to transform our very way of being, breaking down addictions and behaviors that are destructive to our lives. God works in us. But God also works through us. God works through us to bring healing and peace to our families this Christmas season. God works through us to offer hope and grace to the strangers among us. God works through us to bring redemption, justice, unity, and peace to all of God's creation. God works through us. God works in us, and God works through us. This is what Micah is trying to say. This is what the God incarnate, becoming a human being, is Jesus the Christ, reminds us. That God works in God's creation. And that God works through God's creation. This week, it's funny how things line up together sometimes, but Siska Ireland emailed me a poem this week, an Advent poem. And she was like, it just really blessed me. I wanted to pass it on to you. And I thought it really, really connected and resonated with the scripture text this week. So I thought I would wrap up this, this time of message together by reading it to you. This poem is adapted from one originally written by, uh, entitled Cloth for the Cradle by the Iona Community Wild Goose Worship Group. Pretty awesome name. Uh, so here are these words. Open our eyes, Lord, especially if they are half shut because we are tired of looking, or half open because we fear to see too much, or bleary with tears because yesterday and today and tomorrow are filled with the same pain, or narrowed because we only look at what we want to see. Open our eyes, Lord, gently to scan the life we lead, the home we have, the world we inhabit, and so to find among all the gremlins and grayness signs of hope to which we can cling. Give us a bigger vision of what you can do and what you are already doing in us and through us and around us. Help us to see past the despair, the deceit, and the disbelief of the world and to glimpse the renewal and redemption that come only from you. Help us, heal us, confront us, and convert us. Open our eyes, Lord, in yearning for Jesus. Come, oh come, amen. Amen.